This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. The legal information presented on In Legal Terms is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information conveyed does not create any type of attorney-client relationship. Please consult an attorney provider before making any decisions about your specific legal questions. Welcome back. This is In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio, the show all about you and your rights. I'm Liz Gill, joined today by Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. And this morning, we're going to talk about the MacArthur Justice Center. The center advocates for human rights and social justice through litigation. Our guest is Cliff Johnson, Assistant Professor of Law at the University and Director of the MacArthur Justice Center. We'll be discussing the many ways that the center is benefiting Mississippi. Our number is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can also send us an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. Good morning, Professor Gershon. Good morning, Liz, and what an honor it is to have Cliff Johnson on the show today. Uh, Cliff practiced law in Mississippi for more than 20 years, uh, and we were opening the MacArthur Justice Center and uh, going to have a clinic uh, to help our students uh, learn to practice law, but also do a lot of good in the state. And when we were looking for a director, uh, I remember being stopped by another lawyer who said, you got to hire Cliff Johnson, and we're so glad we did. He has done a fantastic job, and it's just wonderful to have him on the show today. Good morning, Cliff. We're glad you're with us. Good morning, Liz. Great to be here. So one of the conditions that the MacArthur Justice Center has been working on is bail abuses. We have a lot of listeners, and they are all over the spectrum. So why don't you tell us about how the bail system works? Sure. You know, one of the things that you have to to think about when you start processing your your um, ultimate conclusions on the use of money bail is the the fact that people are presumed innocent until, of course, they're convicted by a jury of their peers. And so bail arises prior to any trial, prior to any conviction, and it is to address the concern about whether someone will appear for a later hearing. So when you get arrested, um, of course, you are presumed innocent at that point. You appear before a judge, and the question is, what are the conditions that need to be put on your release, if any, to assure that you come back for whatever the next proceeding is and ultimately for your trial. The law for a very long time has been that you uh, will be released on your own recognizance unless you either are a flight risk or a danger to the community. And if you are neither of those, then the law says you must be released. What happened in Mississippi and and throughout the United States is we got away from that basic presumption of innocence and we fell into this practice um, through which bail was imposed in every case, every criminal case, misdemeanor 
and felony. And you would go before the judge, and it was just automatic that bail would be imposed, which is the amount of money you would have to give to a bail bondsman or, or to the court if you could pay the entire amount of bail in order to buy your release. And, of course, the implication of that in a state like Mississippi, the poorest state in the country, is that people with money went home, poor people sat in jail, and they sat in jail for months and months until their trial um, presumed innocent. And so we've done a lot of work around that issue, trying to focus on the legal problems, the moral issue with a system that treats poor people quite differently than it does people with money. So that's interesting from a, uh, I'm, I'm a cheapskate, I'm a money person, and to impose bail that you know someone can't pay would therefore obligate the city, the county, the state to provide and care for that individual until their trial comes up. So um, you say it's uh, the judges, they, does every judge at every level have the leeway to decide whether or not uh, to have uh, imposed bail or not? Right. So our municipal court judges, our justice court judges see people initially upon arrest, and there's a process. They're supposed to undertake a a 15-factor test under the law in Mississippi to determine your connections to the community. Have you ever been north of Memphis? Do you, know, do you have the means to flee? Are you, do you really think someone's going to run off to Guadalajara to avoid a disturbing the peace charge after a Mississippi State football game? You know, do you, do you um, really think this person's a danger to the community because they urinated in public, right? I mean, and, or, or even with more serious crimes, you know, what, what is the practical reality regarding Regarding the, the risk that this person won't appear. And so, so what happened, Liz, is we went to this automatic system of bail rather than the kind of cumbersome undertaking of individualized bail determinations. It's easier to just come up with a list, right? Every person who's arrested for disturbing the peace, it's going to be $5,000 bail. Every person arrested for public drunk, it's going to be $1,500 bail. And you just make it automatic. It's a lot less work. Those people who can make it leave, those people who don't stay, can't make it stay, and then you're exactly right, Liz, and I think that's an important point, then your local counties and municipalities have to pay $50, $60 a day to incarcerate those people when nobody's ever determined really whether they're a risk to run or a danger to the community. So, so we do talk about it a lot from a public policy and economic perspective because we think, you know, we think these are considerations and issues that are not partisan and that, and that you know, appeal to and, and uh, are, are important to people of all political persuasions, race, socioeconomic class. This is just questions of good public policy, how we spend our money and what the law requires. So what are the specific adju- uh, abuses uh, in the bail system that the Justice Clinic is addressing? So we've really um, focused on the use of money bail in misdemeanor cases. So, so we haven't even gotten to the point yet, uh, it's coming, stay tuned, of what happens in felony cases in Mississippi. But what we realize that, that even in the least serious offenses, those crimes punishable by less than a year or sometimes less than six months, some of them don't carry any jail time at all, only subject to fines, we were seeing judges in our justice and municipal courts impose money bail in every single criminal case. Right, which is good for bail bondsmen. Bail bondsmen get that 
a 10% of the amount of bail that's set. So if it's a $1,500 bail, it's 150 bucks plus administrative fees. Say they get $200, $225. When that person shows up for trial, um, they don't get any of that back, right? That's just money in the pocket of bail bondsmen. So the first fruits go to the bail bondsman. The municipality pays if they can't make bail. And um, we saw a number of people through visits to jails and to courts who would spend in lengthy periods of time in jail for minor offenses. And it it had implications, not to get too technical, but under the Equal Protection Clause, the Due Process Clause of the Constitution, when people of a certain class, poor people, were treated very differently than those who could afford to buy their way out of jail. And, and of course, our problem is you shouldn't, under the law, the presumption is you don't have to buy your way out of jail because you're an innocent person. Right. Well, yeah. well, Cliff, and those, those people can't work. That's the other thing. They can't be working while they're in jail. So it, it just economically gets worse for them. And I think here's the conversation, Richard. It's let's think about the seriousness of jail. And sometimes we, we become a little callous about that, right? Somebody spends a week or two in jail. What's the big deal? And all the data shows that once you go to jail for two or three days, things unravel. You lose your job. You're, you lose your housing. Once you lose your job, you lose your housing, you don't have family structure support, where do you go? What happens to your child support obligations? So we take people in the community who we want to be contributing, productive members, and we hamstring them in significant ways by just a few days in jail. And I think that, you know, the kind of the 20,000 foot question is, you know, is that as a as a local community in Oxford or Pelahatchee or Brookhaven or Picayune, you know, is that what we want to be doing um, for these people who already oftentimes are kind of living on the edge and they live paycheck to paycheck. So many of us do in Mississippi. And so, you know, we don't want to create this impediment for what really is in most of these instances, a minor offense for which they're not going to they're just going to pay a fine. I mean, even when they go to court, these people who wind up in jail because they can't make bail, all they were ever going to face was a $200 or $500 fine for this misdemeanor offense. And, and so we were seeing money bail, Liz, in every single misdemeanor in Mississippi. It still happens despite the law and despite the rules and despite the fact that we've sued several counties and municipalities over this instance. And we've every one of those cases have been resolved in our favor. And every one of those cases, those communities have decided that there will be no money bail imposed in misdemeanor cases. All right. Well, this morning we're talking about the MacArthur Justice Center and the work they do to improve Mississippi's legal system. We have an early call. We're so glad from Memphis. Ela has called. Go ahead, Ela. Hi. Uh, thank you so much for taking my call. Um, so I actually, I teach at the university, and one of the things that we talked about was um, traffic tickets. And I know that we're not specifically talking about traffic tickets, but in some European countries, and I hope you haven't mentioned this already, they actually do it income-based because the premise is, is that if it's to be a penalty, it should be a, in a preventative kind of measure, uh, really. Uh, it should be a deterrent for everyone, not just the people that can't afford it. Um, but this actually, that mindset, I suppose, should be applied to any infraction, if that makes sense. That's an interesting philosophy. It well, and, and, is actually. And, and you're singing my song. Let me tell you, I, 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 our settlements, every one of 
our settlements require judges to consider the income, the financial condition of defendants at the time they impose the fine. So, so here's the conversation that we need to have, I think, uh, as a state, and that is – you know, people are very concerned about what's fair, and so we get a lot of pushback on fair. And so the, the initial response is, wait a minute, Cliff, if I have to pay $500 for this offense, it's not fair if somebody who's poor only has to pay $100. You know, why do they get away with this? You know, they're lucky. They only have to pay 100 and I have to pay 500 That's not fair. And, and then you stop for a minute, and you say, okay, wait, wait a minute. Let's think this through. You make $100,000 a year. What percentage of your income is $500. Now, let's talk about that person whose sole source of income is Social Security Disability, $762 a month, and you impose a $500 fine on that person. What percentage of their income? Start talking about it in terms of percentage of income. What percentage of income is is that for, for the person on Social Security Disability? So if you want to talk about fair, and I'm not sure that's a productive conversation all the time, but if you want to talk about fair, I think let's talk about it in terms of percentage of income. And, and it, you know, then I think we would might get more pushback on the ex- excessiveness of fines, how we enforce misdemeanors, you know, how the law is applied. So I, I, I think that European model, although it, this often gets you in trouble in Mississippi talking about how we should adopt a European <laughs> model, but I will just say that I think the notion, right, of recognizing Recognizing that that something that is of very little value to one person may be of great value to another is a conversation we should have. And look, in this the most religious state in uh, in America, you know, we know what the Bible says about the widow's mite. And um, it was considered to be an extravagant uh, offering, and it was much less than those people with money. So I think if we want to um, have a conversation that's d- something other than adopting a European model, I might say, let's talk about the Bible. So. All right. Well, we're going to take our first break of our hour. Um, we're discussing the MacArthur Justice Center today. Our number here is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's one 1- You can also send us an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to In Legal Terms. Now, we realize that not everybody has a chance to listen to our show live, and so if you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show at mpbonline.org slash terms. It's also available on the MPB Media app, as is all our local shows. I'm Liz Gill, here today with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, and our guest today is Attorney 
Cliff Johnson, who's also the assistant professor of law at the university and director of the MacArthur Justice Center. And this morning, that's what we're talking about, all the good work that the MacArthur Justice Center does. It advocates for human rights and social justice through litigation. Our number for our show to call in is one 877 MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. And uh, Cliff, I, I hope you're a listener of our show. Last week, our guest was Andre Degree from the, the the director of the Office of State Public Defenders, and um, hit one of his topics uh, was that the that I understand the Justice Center has also focused on is the the right to counsel. So uh, when talk to us about uh, when does a person have the right to counsel? So any person who wants to hire a lawyer to come with them to court is certainly free to do that. The question really, Liz, is when do we as a society have to provide counsel for free to poor folks? And what the law says that in any criminal proceeding where there's a possibility of punishment by the loss of liberty, when somebody can go to jail, that we are obligated to provide free counsel to indigent defendants. And, you know, that conversation, you talk to Andre Degree, he's a fine lawyer, really lucky to have him as the state public defender in Mississippi. He's someone who's, whose counsel I seek often. Um, and so, you know, we have the conversation all the time about how that process works in Mississippi. You know, the Sixth Amendment Center's uh, recent report about the state of public defender services in Mississippi. It's a it's a significant challenge here. And so um, it, it is something we're, we're troubled by, interested in. It's vitally important. What, what we know, of course, is that people with competent counsel come out much better in criminal proceedings than, than those people who are who have no counsel at all or counsel who is. Uh, who might be overworked, stretched too far, or have um, interests that are not aligned with those of their client. So to, to wrap my mind around the, uh, the situation, there are the laws in Mississippi for needing counsel. Uh, the state public defender's office they attempt to implement that as best they can, and the MacArthur Justice Center will step in as needed to sue or to uh, assist through litigious means of getting that implemented. Is that correct? Right. So we've looked at situations where, for example, in our litigation against Scott County, Mississippi, where counsel wasn't appointed until indictment. Okay, indictments when the grand jury ultimately brings formal charges. So you get arrested. People would sit in jail in a local county jail in Mississippi. Mississippi is a state where there's not a limit on how long you can be detained between arrest and indictment. So we see people who are who are detained for months and months and months awaiting grand jury action. Right. And, and stay tuned. We're about to issue a large press release and report about our findings uh, statewide on everybody who's in jail, our local county jails. Um, so we had people in Scott County who would be there for several months. And the judge, the court system there, decided that they weren't going to appoint counsel until after indictment. So you get arrested. You're in jail for eight months, 10 months, a year. You never get a lawyer 
until until an indictment comes. If you're not indicted, they just let you go. You were arrested all this time. No, you can't make bail, right? Getting back to our last conversation. You're too poor to make bail, so you're sitting, you're waiting. Nobody out there is advocating for your release. Nobody's asking what's going on here. Why is this person still in jail? And so, so we sued Scott County and ultimately settled that litigation with Scott County, Neshoba, Leak, and um, Newton Counties around that system. So so we we certainly do file lawsuits, but you know we also are out talking to um, legislators and judges and politicians about why it's important to have you know counsel early and and how our system works and you know one of the problems we have Liz is that we only have a handful of full-time public defender offices in most small towns you have one of the local lawyers who also you know files slipping files at the Piggly Wiggly and truck wrecks when the Walmart truck hits somebody and handles wills and divorces and then they get paid some amount of money by the county to, you know to to be the part-time public defender they go before the judge the judge has a lot of influence over who gets picked if they file a lot of motions, if they gum up the works, if the docket doesn't move quickly, they run the risk of losing the uh, the contract that pays for some of their rent, pays for their secretary. And so our system is, is very much based on a part-time model of private lawyers who who do this, um, you know, one or two days a week. And and as the Sixth Amendment Center's report reveals, that has, you know, significant repercussions and ramifications for indigent defendants. This morning, we're talking about the work that the MacArthur Justice Center does, and we now have a full slate of calls. So hang on, Hattiesburg, Poplarville, and Gulfport. First, we're going to go to Chris in Greenville. Thanks for calling in today, Chris. Thank you. I just have a comment. Um, Two years ago, when I lived in Horn Lake, Mississippi, I had gotten a, a DUI, went to jail, bonded out. And when I went to court, the fine was twelve hundred, and I was given time to pay it off. And I had another court date to come back eight weeks later if the fine was not paid off. And when I went back to court, all I liked was one hundred and fifty. And the woman judge, she found me in contempt, sent me to jail for sixty days, and I lost my job home, and I was homeless. Oh, Chris, um, I hate that that's happened. I will tell you, um, this won't make you feel any better, but goodness knows you are not alone. We have a significant problem in Mississippi with illegal practices around the collection of fines and fees. And hundreds and hundreds of people in Mississippi have found themselves in the exact same situation where there's no examination as to whether or not the failure to pay is willful. Uh, that people are put on to the extent they're allowed to have payment plans. The payment plans are unrealistic. You know, you have to pay 1200 bucks in 90 days or, you know, you have to pay $150 a month um, when for many people that's just impossible. They're living on such a thin margin. Uh, we have sued a lot of municipalities around this issue. We're settling a case. You'll see an announcement in the next week or two, uh, settling another case that we've, that we've been litigating. Um, these are debtors' prisons. They've been outlawed in the United States for more than 150 years, uh, we're extraordinarily troubled by this practice, and uh, it's not just Greenville. It's it's uh, it's all over the state, and and we send students into courtrooms 
We have two students who are visiting Greenville today, by the way, who are sitting in a court in Greenville taking notes on what judges are doing there. Um, but we see it everywhere we go. Uh, it, it's it's illegal. And the Mississippi Supreme Court, you know, as far back as 1978, um, reminded everyone that you just can't incarcerate someone for their poverty, period. Uh, and um, we've been doing that uh, throughout Mississippi, and it's wrong. All right. Next, we've got a call from a Gulfport. Uh, Dwayne, uh, welcome to In Legal Terms. Go ahead. Yes, I um, enjoy your show. Um, I want to make a comment on the European model. Um, I lived in Spain for seven and a half years while serving in the Navy, and there's no punitive if you don't pay your fines. So they could die owing the state hundreds of dollars. Um, and I'm glad you made the point about the debtor's prison. The justice court system could, in Mississippi could be considered a debtor's prison because none of the, most of those judges are not lawyers. They're elected officials. And you don't have to be a lawyer to, to um, be a justice court judge. But in Europe, um, you know, Spain's one of the poorest countries in Europe, similar to Mississippi being a poor state. And they do do the proportion, you know, of income, but the people just don't pay the fines. And there's no punitive to that. So I just want to make that comment on and, and I, I think it's thank you for that. And, and I, I appreciate that that point. And, and one of the things that we're quick to say is that, you know, you'll never hear us say that poor folks don't have to abide by the law. Of course they do. Every, and, and, and all of our indigent defendants accept that, readily accept that. The question is... What's, what's fair as far as expectations on a payment plan, for example? Um, if you owe $500 to the city of Gulfport, then you owe $500, and it's not that, you know, you get out from under it. I mean, unless you have, you know, these situations where someone's, you know, severely mentally ill, everybody in town knows that person who, who's been homeless for years. The, the state gives judges the authority in those instances just to wipe those fines and fees away because, you know, those people are, have much bigger issues and are never going to be able to pay. But in the typical case of an indigent person, the question is simply, how long should we give that person to pay? Our settlements have said, um, in the case of indigents, payment plan should be $25 a month. And people have that option, or they can do community service at you know $9 an hour and satisfy the, their obligations to the community that way. And once you say, I'm going to pay you $25 a month, and you stand in front of the judge and say, I understand, that's my obligation. If you don't come back to the court, you ignore the court, you don't say, you know, come back and say, I had a problem, I had a, you know, an illness, or I lost my job, or, you know, somehow try to work things out, then the court's not impotent in that situation. Courts still can enforce their orders, issue a summons, bring you back in and say, Cliff, you stood in front of me, said you're going to pay you $25 a month. You haven't done it. You better have a good reason. And then there are contempt powers. So, so all of us have to pay our debts. The question is, what's a legal way of collecting them? Not how do we get people um, out from under their obligations to, to abide by the law? All right. When we come back from the break, we'll talk about mental health evaluations and treatment issues for those in the criminal criminal justice system. This hour is just flying by. Steve in Poplarville, Newt in Hattiesburg. Hang on. We do have two lines open. If you would like to call, our number is one 877 
MPB Ring. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can also send us an email. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon is our expert from the University of Mississippi School of Law, and we're joined today by our guest, Cliff Johnson. He's an assistant professor of law and director of the MacArthur Justice Center. This morning, we're talking about the MacArthur Justice Center and how it advocates for human rights and social social justice through litigation. We do have a number of calls, so we're going to go to Poplarville. Steve, thanks for calling in to In Legal Terms this morning. Thank you. I would love to be one of the clients for the MacArthur Center. Tell us your situation. Okay. Uh, I have not had a primary care physician since September 1st of 2016. And the reason is because the attorneys at the various clinics will not allow their doctors to serve me because I have a rare disease and uh, they won't uh, let them be the doctor. I've had several who wanted to be the doctor and then the attorneys got involved and said, no, you can't have him for a patient. Uh, I found out that their physician's insurance liability will go up because if they have risky patients. And my rare disease uh, requires uh, medicine that the FDA wants me to have in order for them to prescribe it. That also the attorneys think that's uh, unusual and shouldn't happen. Steve, you know, we, we're always troubled by situations where people who are um, facing challenges are, are mistreated and further marginalized. And while we don't typically operate in that realm of, you know, right to um, – medical treatment, I I assure you that there are lawyers out there who represent plaintiffs and who consider these situations, particularly situations driven by insurance companies and the the, uh, refusal to provide uh, services to to people like you who who need care. Um, There are laws about, as you probably are well aware of, uh, the um, illegality of turning people away in emergent situations and acute situations. It obviously gets more complicated when you're talking about day-to-day routine care. Um, I would encourage you to um, to uh, look at local plaintiffs' lawyers who uh, address these issues, insurance uh, lawyers, and, and I'll tell you that if you, uh, if you look me up on the Ole Miss website and you want to give me a call, I think I can help, help get you to some people who'd be interested in your situation. I'm, I'm sorry that that's happening. I know it must be painful. Thank you, Steve, for for listening. Uh, next, we're going to move on to Hattiesburg. Newt, thank you for calling in. Uh, what's your comment today? Uh, yes, I'm calling to nominate Cliff Johnson for sainthood. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just wanted to comment that 
finally we've got somebody that's interested in taking care of trying to end these de facto crimes of our legal system. This has been needed for so long, and I cannot imagine any work that an attorney could do that would have more positive repercussions for society than what he's doing. And I, I really just call to thank him. Well, we, we appreciate the president of the Hattiesburg chapter of the Cliff Johnson Fan Club <laughs> for calling in this morning. The Oxford chapter. And I, have to, I have to say, you know, I want I want to make I think people aren't aware that you know, to, to come and take this job. Cliff was in private practice. He took a pay cut to do this. So this is a calling. It really is. And we're so lucky to have him. Well, and I'll, I'll say this new. Uh, you're very kind, too kind. But, but what I'll say is I, during the break, I was talking to to Richard and Tracy here in our, in our studio about um, how I, I have confidence in the people of Mississippi. If we can gather around tables and talk about what is fair and right, we know in Mississippi what it is to be poor. We've either grown up poor. We have loved ones who are living on the margins with people in the communities that we live in, who we love, we go to church with. Um, I, I think that these conversations um, can be productive. I, I get frustrated like everybody else in Mississippi at times, but I haven't grown cynical. I remain hopeful, and I see it in our students. I see students who come into the clinic who may be really resistant to some of these notions, but as we talk it through, as we talk about the law and policy and justice and what's right, um, I, I think we can get there together. I, 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 you know, Litigation is what we do, but what we all know is that is the least effective and efficient way so many times of resolving disputes and, and bringing about um, changes in policy. Um, it has a place. It always has had a place. And we know that from the civil rights movement forward. And I'm going to continue doing this part. But Newt, we need good folks like you, people in rotary clubs and churches and synagogues and mosques and Sunday school classes and um, Boy Scout troops right alongside with us. And I think we can all have productive conversations about this. Thanks for calling in, Newt. I, I have a question, and I guess maybe I'm asking your for your opinion, Cliff. Going back to when we were discussing about bail, uh, the Pollyanna in me wonders if the judges want to automatically assume bail or uh, uh, set a bail because they don't want to run the risk of seeing him inappropriate by uh, having discretionary, oh, I'll have bail here, I won't have bail there. Do they feel like maybe the legal system in the history of Mississippi has been too uh, at the whim of those in power, so they're trying not to uh, abuse their authority? I certainly think that's part of it, Liz. I mean, let's remember, our judges in Mississippi are elected, right? And the implications of having elected judges are very serious. And, and when you see judicial elections, you don't hear people running on the platform that I want to make sure that every person in our county gets a lawyer, gets all the rights they're entitled to, and that nobody goes to jail who shouldn't be in jail, right? That's not the campaign, right? Every campaign is who's toughest on crime, who's going to lay the wood to criminal defendants more than the 
than the other person? Um, who's most committed to tough sentences and law and order? And so, so part of what happens, of course, is um, that it's easier just to treat everyone the same. One size fits all always is quicker, more efficient. Um, uh, the, the problem is it's absolutely and utterly illegal. It violates the Constitution. So, yes, judges would rather, many judges, too many judges, would rather have a simple, easy system that takes them off the hook. But that's what they get paid for. They get paid to make these calls, and we should hold them to it. And and frankly, I have very little patience for judges who um, aren't willing to uh, apply the law as it as it should be applied. And and you know, uh, unfortunately, we have some of those judges. Too many of those judges in Mississippi. Well, we need to uh, let them listen to our in legal term show on the Mississippi Judicial College, which helps our uh, judges and judicial officials uh, have education and training. But next, we are going to go in f- to Vicksburg. Uh, William, we appreciate you holding. What's your question or comment for in legal terms? Hi, um, I'm, I'm glad to be a part of this. I had a friend who was arrested, actually, I had, I had lent a car to, and was arrested, pulled over for a seatbelt violation, arrested for a warrant of car theft from a county in Monroe County where she had never been and was held for two weeks, uh, went from Issaquina to Monroe County in, in a horrible prison, you know, over jail, I guess it would be termed, and was never Mirandized and never arrested and, and was simply held, was put out on a $5,000 bond, which I eventually bonded her out on. And although they said there was an indictment that she had never appeared under... You know, and this is still going through the courts. She got a public defender. I mean, she was actually almost homeless. I mean, she was living in a mission. And and this is still running through the courts like six months later almost. And, and it was basically a case of mistaken identity. There was a, an ID found with her name, like identity theft with her name on it, that had another woman's picture on which the charges were based and yet it's still not cleared it just disturbs me incredibly that she was held for so long with no formal arrest and and william you you know your point goes to the vital importance of early appointment of counsel you have to get these lawyers to folks immediately and i don't know what happened with your friend but the way the system is supposed to work is that you immediately are assigned a public defender if you're indigent and it sounds like your friend would qualify um as as indigent and then that public defender has to go to work immediately so so you know one of the things that i've heard andre degree express frustration about is when public defenders um, wait around until after indictment and, and you know between between the time of arrest and um, more formal proceedings that there, there's not a lot of action that takes place but diligent thoughtful hard-working public defenders are going to get in there early and often and try to clear a situation like that up. You can imagine how helpful it would be for your friend to have someone who's going to the judge and saying, wait a minute, this isn't right. Here's the situation. They do their own investigation. And and in defense of our public defenders, they are extraordinarily... 
stressed, overworked. They are challenged by a lack of resources. They don't have the same resources that law enforcement has, district attorneys have. This is not a fair fight many times. You know, I'm a big believer in the notion of equality of arms. If you're going to whip me, whip me in a fair fight, but don't tie my left hand behind my back. And, and in our system in Mississippi, that's what happens far too often. So, but, but we got to, we got to have the fight to begin with. We have to engage. And that means public defenders early, giving them the resources to be active and to be diligent and to straighten out situations just like your friend encountered. Because I can't imagine anything more um, frustrating, uh, anything more maddening than being stuck in a jail over a situation that's that's a case of a, of mistaken identity or some other clerical error, and it, and it happens more more than we, any of us would like to think. And it's it's almost like you know the stories we hear about communist countries, you know, people thrown in jail wrongly, no right to counsel, uh, you know, no recourse, and we don't want that in this country. That's right, and and I, and, and here's Richard, what what I think you know is is true is. I'd never meet people in in my work, even on the other side of my cases, who say, you know, I, I'm not in favor of spending money on criminal defendants. I don't think they have a right to that. I mean, I think we all recognize there, but for the grace of God, go I. And I certainly want my lawyer, need a lawyer. And so I, th- I think we can agree on the need for that and the importance uh, of that. The question comes when we have to spend money, right? And the Mississippi legislature just hasn't shown a willingness to spend significant money on a public defender system. We're one of only six states in the United States that doesn't have a statewide public defender system. We're the only state in the Southeast that doesn't have a statewide public defender system, and we're the poorest state in the United States. William, we appreciate your calling in. Uh, Mr. Gordon in Holmes County, hang on. When we come back from our last break, we'll continue our discussion about the MacArthur Justice Center and the work that they do for human rights and social justice in Mississippi. Our number here is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's one 1- 877-672-7464. You can also send us an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. Our guest today is Cliff Johnson, the director of the MacArthur Justice Center. He, along with Professor Richard Gershon, our host, are discussing the MacArthur Justice Center and its work in Mississippi. This is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to In Legal Terms. If you've missed any of our program, remember you can always listen to the whole show again at mpbonline.org slash in legal terms. It's also available on the MPB media app, as is all our local shows. I'm Liz Gill here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. And our guest today is Cliff Johnson, Assistant Professor of Law and Director of the MacArthur Justice Center. I appreciate Mr. Gordon holding on for so long. Thanks for calling in. What's your question or comment for our show? 
um, all his sons incarcerated, and he had a problem with uh, gang violence, and he was moved to Holmes County to Parchment uh, after that happened, and he said that he was not given any medical attention, and the night that he they moved they they moved him, another young man was was was, was, uh, was uh, uh, jumped on, and he, he was in a prison care in, in Jackson. And where I went, where I, my question was, uh, how can I go about getting a pro bono lawyer to represent someone that's already in prison? Well, Mr. Gordon, I, I hate that, that that happened, and, and we certainly at the MacArthur Justice Center are interested in issues of condition of confinement. We sued the state regarding the conditions on death row. You may have been following the news. There's been a trial for the last several weeks in federal court in Jackson regarding the conditions at the East Mississippi Correctional Facility. The Mississippi Department of Corrections um, you know, is required to provide medical care to inmates, required to make sure that they're safe, and uh, we take that very seriously. Um, I, I, there are resources available. The ACLU National Prison Project has been involved in this litigation, the Southern Poverty Law Center, MacArthur Justice Center. We're all interested in these issues. Mississippi Center for Justice, uh, the Mississippi Pro, Mississippi Pro Bono Project has lawyers who may be interested in these issues. So I think you could call any of us and we'd be willing to talk to you about this. But but I do want you to know that the conditions of parchment at parchment are a, a source of constant concern for us and others. And I know that there's active uh, investigation going on by lawyers in Mississippi around that facility. We will have all of those phone numbers and email addresses uh, on our website for this show at mpbonline.org slash in legal terms. And Mr. Gordon, I'm so sorry for uh, the the person you know, and I hope that they are able to get some assistance. Uh, Next, we've got to... Adam and John, so let's go to Adam. Uh, thanks for calling in to In Legal Terms today. Hi, good morning. Thank you guys for uh, taking on this important topic. We, we appreciate it, and we're very glad uh, that Cliff Johnson was able to come on our show. Go ahead with your question or comment. Sure. Um, I, I wanted to understand or know if there's been a trend. Um, I believe the last topic was mental health in, in regards to uh, to the justice system. Has there been a decreasing trend uh, of, um, of occurrences of, of, um, or the amount of uh, mental health-related uh, uh, patients in the justice system? Or, and, and where can those statistics be found if they are uh, available? Well, the mental health issue is one that we're actively focused on, and particularly, Adam, the problem of people sitting in jail waiting for mental health evaluations to determine whether they're competent to stand trial. You can't go to a trial if you're not competent to assist in your defense. And in Mississippi, we have people who have waited months and years for mental health evaluations, and then they've been deemed incompetent but restorable. And so there's going to be an effort to restore them to competence, and then they'll wait months and years 
um, in a Mississippi jail waiting for a bed to open up at the state hospital at Whitfield. So we have a significant problem. The Department of Mental Health is underfunded. We have 15 forensic beds, beds for inmates, for the entire jail population of Mississippi, 22,000 people in the MDOC system, another 6,000 in local jails, and there are 15 beds to assess and treat um, inmates uh, in Mississippi. It is the source of litigation. We are considering additional litigation in this area. We've hired experts. Um, it is it is a tremendous problem, and there are no bigger advocates for dealing with this issue than our sheriffs in Mississippi. They understand that people with significant, profound mental illness are dangerous to themselves, to other inmates, to the staff at the jail, and, and they are not trained to deal with these people. They, and, and, and they understand that they need to be helped in a different setting. So um, this is a this is a big matzo ball, and it and it has to be it has to be addressed. Um, my sister Shelley has worked in, with people who've dealt with mental health issues and uh, addiction issues, and and we talk all the time about how important it is to to deal with these issues. All right, thank you, Adam. And our last call for the hour is John and Brandon. Uh, thanks for listening to In Legal Terms. What's your question or comment? Well, my comment is I seem to be able to breathe better listening to this show a little bit. It can be so stifling sometimes, the kind of political rhetoric that's out there and the lack of empathy that you really see. I'm 53 years old, and I'm still baffled by the lack of empathy. And I really just wanted to applaud Mr. Johnson and tell him he's got probably one of the most important meaningful roles of anyone in the state and uh, their work is very very critical I'm encouraged to hear that the sheriff's organization is actually interested in the mental health issue Uh, I'm not an attorney or anything and not involved in the justice system but I do have empathy for you know people that just are not able to conduct a fair fight for themselves and uh, I just really wanted to applaud him and applaud you guys for having him on. Thank you. John, John, thank you. Let me tell you what you can do. You say you're not a lawyer, but our politicians don't ever hear from people who say, rather than hang them high, who say, I want you to be fair. I expect you to be fair and do right, and I vote. And and, and I'm, I think it's really important that people of goodwill, and, and there are so many in Mississippi. I'm a you know fifth-generation Mississippian. My people are from Tylertown. I believe in us, and I believe we can be better. But we have to demand it of our elected officials, and I think there's a lot of us who want this to happen well cliff i'm so excited we got to hear from the uh president of your brandon uh, fan club so thank you cliff johnson uh director of the MacArthur justice center for coming on our show and that's going to wrap us up for today for in legal terms our call screener today has been java chapman our board engineer in jackson has been michelle mcadoo in oxford uh, tracy daniel helps us out For Professor Richard Gershon, who hosts from the University of Mississippi School of Law, I'm Liz Gill. Up next is our Tuesday Southern Remedy Show, Relatively Speaking. We hope you'll you'll join us next Tuesday at 10 a.m. for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.